So we're going to do the kingdom of God. All right? Let's pray. Father, we pray that we might understand and receive your word. But believing it is more than understanding it, it's acting upon it. So we pray for the obedience of faith to be generated in our heart, like the charging of a battery. We pray that we might be energized by your truth to change the way that we think and the way we live for your greater honor, we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the kingdom of God's a major theme of the Bible. I've got to stand this way because the light's very bright there. Uh, major theme of the Bible and, of course, of the teaching of Jesus himself. He's taught again and again, uh, both in parables and direct statements, about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. We'll look at that in a minute. So we're tackling this because it's important and strategic. But in fact, this week my mind was taken back to this because of Brexit and the disturbance of our political and governmental authorities, as well as the general national unrest at the moment. It threw me back on Hebrews 12. I don't know if anybody saw the kind of blog or little newsletter I did, Thoughts on Brexit on the internet, put it up there. Got some interesting feedback from people well beyond here on, on that one. It says in Hebrews 12, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if those did not escape who refused him who warned them on earth, that's, that's, that's Moses at Sinai, you know, and God speaking from Sinai, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. When God gave the law at Sinai, the mountain shook, and the writer compares the Lord speaking and shaking that piece of earth then to his speaking and shaking the whole earth on a much larger scale. Now, at the end of the age... When Jesus comes, that will happen. But at various times, on a smaller scale, also before then, God shakes things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. By the way, there are some notes on the table there. If anybody wants any, you're welcome to get up down and grab a set if it really helps you. That's all right. What is it that cannot be shaken? God's kingdom. Other kingdoms, governments and authorities will be and indeed are being shaken. No matter how brave or complacent or, you know, they, they poo-poo the idea and put a brave face on. But what stands, what becomes more evident when things are shaken is the kingdom of God. Now I know that the words kingdom and the word witnesses has been stolen away by the JWs. But like David of old, I'm on a raid to recover them. We've got to get them back because they're biblical phrases. Kingdom of God, and even the fact that we are witnesses to the kingdom of God. Very simply, very straightforwardly, the Lord reigns. I could give you dozens of scriptures to back this up, but we haven't got time. The Lord reigns. He's in charge. He governs. He doesn't govern because we invite him to. He governs whether you want him to or not. He's in charge. 
He's the sovereign Lord. It's his nature. As God, he is king. He cannot abdicate. He can't be anything less than that. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Let me give you a very short overview of the Bible here. In the beginning, God was king. He ruled over his creation. He then made man to be his under-ruler, his prince. But we rejected his kingship and sought to make ourselves masters. When Israel had been brought out of slavery in Egypt and had entered their promised land, they clamoured for a king like them. They rejected God as their king. The prophets called Israel and Judah, north and south, back to serve Yahweh, their king, their master, their husband. And when Jesus was presented to the crowd at Gabbatha, the pavement, and Pilate declared, Behold your king, they screamed back, We have no king but Caesar. So one of the ways of the, the, the Bible weaves a story for us. The narrative is this. That God is reclaiming his kingdom. His rightful place as sovereign over men and women. But he reigns whether we believe it or not, whether we like it or not, or whether we submit to him or not. Just as the sun never ceases to burn, so God never ceases to reign. We in sin close our eyes and stop our ears and harden our hearts against him. But he reigns. Nevertheless, he rules over all. His kingdom rules over all. Everything, without exception, including Brexit or no Brexit. Nothing is outside of his sovereignty. Now let me say that sometimes the Bible speaks to us in analogies and pictures to describe things to us. But this is not an analogy. It's not that God is like a king and we are like his citizens. No, he is king. He's not like a father. He is father. And we are his children. I'm speaking of those who belong to him by grace through faith, of course. And it seems to me that in thinking about the kingdom of God, there are two major parts to this. That God reigns, in fact, as we'll see in a few minutes, through his son, the Lord Jesus, and that we are now his kingdom, his citizens. Because his kingdom is not a some place, it's a some people. Yes. It's a people. The two main questions I want to answer then in these coming weeks is what is his kingdom and what does that mean and what does this mean for us? How does this change the way I live? Much of what the Lord Jesus tells us about the kingdom of God is about how we conduct ourselves as citizens, servants, stewards, sons. We look at the main issues of what being in his kingdom means for us in coming weeks. And since Jesus tells us straight, I'm going to repeat it straight, right? He gives us encouragement and warnings and rebukes and you can expect that we'll deal with those without wriggle room or apology. Today I want to establish that this kingdom of God is actually now in the context of the New Testament, the kingdom of Jesus, God's Son, the Messiah. First let me shoot down some speculations, some imaginations. You know, a lot of people want to talk about or pray about bringing down strongholds. We're going to go up and pull down and all that kind of stuff, you know. Let me tell you this. That in 2 Corinthians 10, when it talks about that, the strongholds there are speculations, lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God, thoughts that need taking captive to the obedience of Christ. They are ways of thinking, they are philosophies. That's what strongholds are. And there are some strongholds, deeply rooted ways of thinking about the kingdom of God that are just plain wrong. I thought, let me find a nice video that will you know, give a bit of an introduction to this about the kingdom of God. And I went on YouTube and I looked at the videos and I went, oh, they're rubbish! 
And they, they were. They were almost all complete nonsense. So let me bash some ideas with you here. And we're dis- we're demoli- I'm demolishing them, right? I'm not like suggesting they're a little bit off, off, off the way. I'm saying they're rubbish. Number one, God's kingdom is only heavenly or remote, far off. It's God's domain, but it doesn't have anything to do with earth. You might think of that because of scriptures like this one. one I put on earlier, the Lord has established his throne in, his heaven, in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. But his sovereignty rules over all, including this, including earth, including us. So people tend to think God rules but only remotely. It's up there, out there. God is in heaven but a long way from what happens here. That's an idea we need to shoot down with both barrels. Number two. It's only personal or mystical. This is the, generally the liberal, Christian liberal idea about the kingdom of God. It only exists in my personal experience. It's what goes on inside me or invisibly around me. You might think that because you've been misquoted, Luke seventeen twenty one, the kingdom of God is within you. That is one of the most misunderstood and misused scriptures. Totally. And that's why most of the ones in on YouTube, we're way off. Here's the context. Jesus says to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God was not within those Pharisees. They were unbelievers. But it was right before their eyes, right happening in their ears, and they would not see it. Jesus said the kingdom of God is right here, and you can't even get it. They were refusing to hear, refusing to see, refusing to receive. They were in being impacted day after day after day by Jesus the King extending his kingdom and they were not accepting it. The kingdom of God is not just an internal, personal, mystical thing. The kingdom of God affects people who don't want it to. God holds accountable to himself those who refuse even to believe that he exists. Why? Because he's king. Another one. The kingdom of God is only in the future. Only in the future. And if you've got some study Bibles, including the Schofield and a few other dispensationist kind of Bibles, they say, oh, the kingdom of God, it's out there. It's up there. It's, what's happening now is this, but that's, that's out there. No, the Bible does not say that. We sometimes use the expression, till kingdom come. Have you ever heard that one? Sadly, it's one used about the First World War a lot. You know, the people were blown to kingdom come. In other words, when the end of the age comes, that's the kingdom coming. Well, yes, it is, but it's the, it doesn't mean it's not happening now. We live in a now and a not yet. Where God's kingdom at the moment is working, but it cannot be full, it cannot be complete, it cannot be perfect, because we aren't. We're imperfect. But when we are made perfect by our transformation in the resurrection of the dead, then God will reign over a perfect family in his perfect kingdom. So the kingdom will be totally fulfilled in the age to come. But that doesn't mean he is not at work and reigning as king now. Some have argued uh, the kingdom of God, uh, Jesus says uh, the parables and teachings refer equally in the scriptures to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven across the gospels. Matthew uses heaven 
rather than God because he's Jewish writing for Jewish people and they don't use the name of God if they can avoid doing so. In fact, he has Jesus saying the kingdom of God four times in Matthew's Gospel and the kingdom of heaven 32 times. But it's just the way that Jewish people, Hebrew people speak to not speak of God too often. But it's the same kingdom. In fact, the same parable has God or heaven in different Gospels. The same parable. It's the same thing. There aren't two different kingdoms. One's just mystical. It's the kingdom of heaven. And then it's the real one, the kingdom of God. No, it's the same kingdom. There's one kingdom and the gospel is the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom is already at work and advancing in this gospel age. Last one. It's only spiritual. Almost every dictionary I looked up about the kingdom of God used the word spiritual, which had me groaning again. <laughs> The word spiritual in the Bible doesn't mean some characteristic in you. It means the Holy Spirit and his work. When it says in Galatians, he that is spiritual, it means he that has the Holy Spirit. Alright? It's not about comment about maturity. If we say that God's kingdom is only spiritual, we're buying into the, the, the philosophy of the Greeks that say matter isn't real, it's, it's immaterial. Matter is immaterial. You know, what only matters really is spirit, spiritual things. So, if you get into that way of thinking, then God's kingdom is like out there, out there, out there, out there, in here, but it doesn't ever touch reality. Well, here's what Jesus did. He went around healing people, casting out demons, cleansing lepers, forgiving sinners, and saying, the kingdom of God just arrived. Is that reality? You bet it is. He made things happen. He made things change. In the reality of life, that's the kingdom of God. It's not just mystical. The kingdom of God in the Gospels is about God taking charge here and now. So let me give you a definition. It's up there in a moment, but let me talk about it first. The kingdom of God is not geographical or political. Despite the the, the, the right-wing Christians in this country, and particularly in America, the kingdom of God is not about what country you live in or what political system you live under. It's, it's not about free market capitalism, prosperity and wealth, nor is it about socialism. A poor, undernourished farmer driving a bullock across a right field in what we call now the developing world is, can be every bit a child of God and citizen of God's kingdom as an overfed Westerner driving his big car. When our brothers and sisters were living under communist oppression in the USSR or China not many decades ago, they were not any less in the kingdom of God. And when today, this week, Pakistani Christians are being persecuted by the Muslim majority, they are suffering as citizens of the kingdom of God and as children of a heavenly father. It has nothing to do with politics and economics. The kingdom of God, this is my definition, it's a bit long. The kingdom of God is where God reigns. It's where his name is honoured. Where his word is received and obeyed. Where his hand is at work and welcomed. Where God is worshipped. Where his ways are followed. Where his values are admired and emulated. Jesus taught us a pattern prayer. Remember, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but he taught it us, it's our prayer. That pattern prayer is priceless. It endlessly teaches and instructs us. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your 
kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not just second coming prayer. That's a now, today prayer. Why? Because it goes on, give us today our daily bread. Forgive me my sins. I won't have sins after the resurrection. It's a today. Now, now, today, Lord. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth in the mess that we're in. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's saying, Father, make what is heavenly, what is your purpose, what is your heart, what is your will, happen here. Bring it on down, we might say. But Isaiah puts it more majestically. He says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When do we want his kingdom? Only at the end of the age? No. Well, we do, but this is a daily prayer. It's now, Lord, please, now. Imperfect as it will be. Mixed with other things as it has to be, because that's the way we are. God, let your kingdom come. And let your will be done on earth. Let me give you a bit of background here. Daniel 2. Let me bring you a key scripture about the kingdom of God and of the reign of Jesus' son. It's where the prophet Daniel predicts the coming of this kingdom through a series of visions. Chapter 2, chapter 7 particularly. Daniel 2. This is the, the, the angelic messenger speaking to Daniel. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed all at the same time. It became like chaff from the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that it, not one trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Move on a bit. In the time of those kings, because the statue is about four kings kings or empires, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Notice that the God of heaven is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Same kingdom. He will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself, itself endure forever. Daniel was given a vision of a statue which represented four kingdoms or empires that would follow one another. At Daniel's time, the Assyrian Babylonians, present-day Iraq, ruled the Middle East. But they were overthrown within Daniel's lifetime by the Medo-Persians, present-day Iran, who were then conquered by the Greeks under Alexander the Great, who were then in turn overtaken by the Roman Empire. And all of that took about 500 years. Let me give you a little principle here of how to understand the Bible. It's this. The Bible was not written yesterday for us to read today about tomorrow. It's got history. It's got context. The Bible, some people, some people have been telling me, oh, it's in Revelation, we've got to leave Europe. Well, if it is, what did it mean the last 2,000 years? That's, even if you're right, what did it mean to the Christians before us? Did they sit there thinking, 2,000 years from now, people in England are going to vote to leave Europe? <laughs> Come on now. The Bible was written yesterday to us today about tomorrow. It has context. In the days of the Roman Empire, what happened in the days of the Roman Empire? Well, if you read it in the Gospels, you're in the days of a particular Caesar who ordered a census. Mary went with Joseph 
through whom she was betrothed to Bethlehem, and there she gave birth to Jesus. In the days of the Roman Empire, God sent his son into the world, and he set up his kingdom. And the kingdom of Jesus is one by one smashing down the kingdoms of this world. They can try to keep the gospel out, but it gets in there by radio, by dreams, by visions. Jesus is gathering his people, and his kingdom is being extended. You can't stop it. They can kill us, but they can't stop us. So let's jump into the New Testament. First words of John the the Baptist were, repent for the kingdom of heaven. What? What? Where? It's coming now. It's happening. First words of Jesus, having been baptised by John in Jordan, were the same. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then what did Jesus do? Jesus was going through all Galilee, preaching, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and then showing by signs that God's kingdom was absolutely right there. He healed every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. How and when did this kingdom come? Within the life of Jesus. He was saying, it's already here. He healed sick, drove out demons, brought mercy to the fallen, and cleansed lepers. Miracles of provision and power of our nature were demonstrated. Oh, evidences of what? The kingdom of God. The authority of Jesus as the king. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Do you get that comment now? All these preachers will say, the kingdom of God is within you, it's in your heart. That's not what Jesus said. And again in Luke 11, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than this strong man attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armour on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. For centuries the Jewish nation had waited for the Messiah and for God's kingdom to come. But all of their theories were off-beam in a number of respects. Time after time, the Lord Jesus takes opportunity to correct this by explaining the kingdom by teaching and illustrations and by demonstrating his power. The kingdom of heaven is among you. The kingdom of heaven is this. He even tells one religious leader that to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born anew. Born of God. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born of God. He predicts the Gentiles, the, these, these, these nations, these uncircumcised people are going to be brought into the kingdom of God. He warns the Jewish nation that if they refuse to believe, they will be excluded from the kingdom of God. When did Jesus come into his kingdom? Well, we have a clue in the last incidents on the cross. The dying thief said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus gave him a today reply. I tell the truth, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. When did Jesus enter into his kingdom? Through his life, his death, and his resurrection and ascension. When was all authority in heaven and on earth? Notice that it's not just authority in heaven, 
mystical somewhere out there. Up there. It's on earth as well. Authority in heaven and on earth. When was that given to him? When he ascended on high. When he rose from the dead. When did Jesus bind the strong man? In other words, the devil. In his life and his death and his resurrection. Let's go back to Daniel 7. The other prophecy about these. But here it's not four bits of a statue. It's four beasts. But it's the same picture. It's the same kingdoms. Daniel 7 verse 13. I kept looking. In the night visions, and behold, one with the clouds of heaven. With the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. Oh, I love this. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, this Son of Man. You know the name Jesus used himself very often? Son of Man. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and men of every language will serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And it goes on further down. But to the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. And then further down again, then the sovereignty, the dominion and the greatness of all kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given not only to Jesus, but to his people, to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions will serve and obey him. Now, lots of people quote those scriptures about the second coming of Jesus. It's not. It's about the ascension of Jesus. He came up to the Ancient of Days, and he was given a kingdom. And then he began to rule. And he rules over kingdoms that are still his enemies. And over people who hate him. As we look at next week, he rules, this is a key scripture in this thing, he rules in the midst of his enemies until every enemy is put under his feet and the last enemy will be death. He's reigning until then. Conquering every enemy. The Son of Man came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented. Not down from the throne room, up to the throne room. Given all authority. When did he do that? When he ascended on high. It's his apostolic doctrine. It's the teaching of the New Testament. Acts 1 verse 9. After he'd said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And at that moment, I do believe, the apostles were remembering Daniel 7. He's, being, he's going up from them, and the clouds are, are wrapping him around. And Jesus arrives at the throne room of the Father, clothed in clouds of glory, to receive his kingdom. Psalm 24 pictures the entrance of the hev- into heaven of this victorious king. Let me just dive straight into verse 7 there of Psalm 24. It says, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, Yahweh, strong and mighty. Yahweh, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. The gates aren't big enough. Make them bigger, quick. (laughs) Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Yahweh of hosts. He is the King of glory. See, when Jesus entered heaven, God came back. He'd been on earth with us. But when he ascended on high, God took his seat. God the Son 
took his eternal place. What is his name? It's the name that's given for everyone to believe. And if you don't believe it, you will not know God. It is Jesus. There's no true faith in God outside of Jesus. The message of the gospel is that this Jesus, who was crucified and buried, was raised from the dead and is now King and Messiah. Listen to Peter preaching boldly on the day of Pentecost. This Jesus, and he's just said, the one you crucified, by the way. This Jesus, God raised up again, to which we're all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now I want to point out that not only was that particularly courageous of Peter to tell Jewish people that they had rejected and killed the Messiah, but God had raised him from the dead and given him authority in heaven and earth. But it was a very courageous thing to say to the Roman Empire that Jesus was Lord. Because the Roman emperors were very jealous about the fact that it was on their statues that this emperor, this Caesar, was Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Wherever you went around the Roman Empire were statues of the Roman emperors with those names written on them. This is Augustus, this is whatever. Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And the, the apostles and the first Christians are saying, Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. You could get killed for that. He's Lord of Lords. Oh, it's a bit dark. Some nice, you can't see it very well. What Peter was perhaps among the first to say was that Jesus Christ Jesus Messiah, this Jewish Messiah, rejected, crucified, risen from the dead, is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, including the King who sits in Rome. Peter knows the prophecies of Daniel. He knows the prophetic Psalms. He's saying, this is it. This is it, folks. Jesus is King. His kingdom has started. No wonder that he's here as that day said, if this is true, what are we going to do? What do we do? What must we do to be saved? Repent, be believing, be baptized and so on. How did Peter know that Jesus was reigning as Messiah because he was risen from the dead and ascended to the throne of God? They'd seen him go, they hadn't seen him arrive, but they'd seen him go. And the Holy Spirit had been poured out and the Holy Spirit being poured out was a sign of the what? The last days, the reign of Messiah. Jesus is Messiah and is crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We'll start next week to look at what his kingdom is like and what that means for us as citizens. But for now, we need, particularly this last week, to remind ourselves of this. God reigns over the nations. In fact, in Isaiah, God says, the whole, all of the nations are like a drop in a bucket to me. You know? If I fill the watering can, and usually use this, the hose, but if I fill the watering can and I go out and water the pots, you know, even when it rains, the pots don't seem to get enough Water the pots. When I put it down, there's a little bit of water left in the. But you know, am I going to stand there all day waiting? No, a little bit of water. God says the nations are a drop in a bucket to me. So, trust Him for the future of our nation. He knows what He's doing with every nation under heaven. 
I was reading, uh, let me mention this because this may help someone. I was reading this morning, Joshua, and they're about to go to Jericho, and it's their first battle and their first invasion thing, really, and, uh, and they're getting ready for that, and suddenly, you know, the captain of the, Lord, of the Lord's hosts appears to Joshua. It's, it's, it's a Christophany, it's the appearance of Jesus to Joshua. And Joshua says, are you with us or, or against us? And the simple answer is, no. No. I'm, represent, I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. I'm here to give you instructions. The danger is that we see life as being yes-no situations and, and is God going to help me to do this or not? Do you know what? God has a bigger plan than the immediate pressing battle. He's got a bigger agenda than the situation that we see. And they're going to win Jericho and they're going to lose AI because they've got some important lessons to learn before they get this right. <laughs> God's in charge. And God's sovereign. And okay, says the, Lord of, says the captain of the Lord of hosts, here's the instructions. You do this and you, this, one, this one you win. But to bring this down very much to earth, we need to trust him personally. Boy, I have been preaching faster on my last page. Jesus said this. He's been talking about flowers that bloom and birds that feed and God providing grain for, for the crops. He says, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, Gentiles means unbelieving people, yeah? Eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We're not to be like unbelieving people worrying about the economy and the future because we have this promise from the Lord Jesus. That as we seek the kingdom of God, which cannot be shaken, and his righteousness, our king will take care of what we need in this life. We need to have our focus on the right thing. On the thing that cannot be shaken. Are you in the kingdom of God? Let me describe to you what that is like. See, to begin, to be in his kingdom means that God has given you a new start. He's given you new birth. He's made you new. It's to have eternal life. To be outside his kingdom is to be forever lost. The Bible uses language of stark contrast. To be saved is to be made alive. To be given sight. To be transferred from the dominion of Satan to the kingdom of God's Son. To be born of God and a child of God. To be unsaved and unconverted is to be dead in sin, to be enslaved to sin and to Satan. To be blind and deaf, to be an object of God's wrath. To be saved is to be in light, to be unsaved, to be in darkness. There's no in-between. There's no almost. There's no half and half. So when I ask you, are you in the kingdom of God, it's not a kind of, well, maybe in the future. It's a now, today question. I mean what the Bible means. Are you in his kingdom now? Right here. Right now. To enter his kingdom you must humble yourself. Repent. Turn around. 
and simply ask the king to receive you, just, Jesus said it like this, just as a small child would come to an adult. They don't have it, the adult has it, they come to the adult. We come to God like little children, asking him to receive us, to welcome us, to straighten us out, to forgive us. And you'll know that you're in his kingdom because you will be in right relationship with God through Jesus. You'll be experiencing his forgiveness and his joy and his peace as you trust in him. And you'll also be working through, because it doesn't all happen in one hit, you'll be working through what it now means to be living with the Lord Jesus as your king and your master. Question for all of us, do you seek first the kingdom of God? There is nothing more important, nothing more valuable than this kingdom of our Lord Jesus. And seeking and finding and living for his kingdom should be our highest priority and our greatest joy. I grew up with people who regularly talked about Jesus reigning in their hearts. Some of the old hymns, you know, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. Okay. Sort of. But actually, that is presented to us in Scripture as a question. The way that the epistles approach this is, th- is like this. Jesus reigns, how are you doing? Peter writes this, so set apart in your heart Christ Jesus as Lord. Why? Because he won't be Lord if you don't? No, he is Lord, so get it right. Get this, stre- get this to line up with the truth. Jesus reigns over all, but does he reign in me? The, the songs we sang earlier were songs of longing and aspiration, weren't they? They were that kind of flavour, weren't they? You know? Another one we might have sung is, Lord, reign in me. Reign in your power. Through all my dreams in my darkest hour. Yeah? yeah? It's like, I need to make you king. No, 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 you don't make him king. He is king. But you recognise and respond to his kingship. By giving him all your focus. All your faith focused on him. Nothing matters more than his kingdom. See, everything else that people find valuable is only passing. In fact, you can lose them all too easily, even in this life, and when you die, you'll certainly lose them. They say you can't take it with you when you go. I mean, some people do, they have stuff buried with them, but then it's no use to anybody, is it? (laughs) Seek, Seek first his kingdom in faith, in focus. Seek first his kingdom in finance. Give to him your tithes, your first fruits. Make it your first priority when you receive income to honour God with that. That's seeking first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom in using your time. What you do with the time outside of having to work for your income. Now if you go back to the King James, the word there is seek ye first the kingdom of God. And there's a reason I've said before why there's ye and you and thee and thou. And it has to do with what is plural and what is singular. That's the way old English works. 
So if I'm speaking now, for instance, Debbie, in Yorkshire dialect, I'll say, how are thee, lad? Girl, I mean, lass. How bist thee, even? That's, that's old English. How bist thee, lass? Thee is individual. But if I stand here and look at you all, I say, how are you? That's all of you, isn't it? In older English, you is plural. Seek you, all of you, first, the kingdom of God. It's all of us together, and we need to help one another in seeking first the kingdom of God. Encouraging, challenging, comforting, strengthening one another to keep on doing this together. Seeking first his kingdom, putting him first. First in faith, first in finance, first in attention. Fellowship matters more than entertainment, and certainly more than Facebook. Facebook's a kind of fake fellowship to me. We seek his kingdom together by building one another up in our faith in him. What does it mean to seek his righteousness? I need to mention this as well before we finish. Very simply, it means that we pursue right relationship with him, knowing God through the Lord Jesus, knowing God as Father, knowing Jesus as King, Saviour, Shepherd, High Priest, knowing the Holy Spirit as our friend, encourager and helper and equipper. Then as the outcome pursuing knowing God we're eager to live rightly as citizens of his kingdom and children of our father so we set out to obey the scriptures to live uprightly to be sexually moral to be truthful, to be honest to be trustworthy, to be disciplined people, that is seeking his righteousness it's not setting out to impress him or to add some more ticks to our scorecard. It doesn't work like that. It is knowing him and living for him by the grace which he supplies. Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. To be rightly relating to him, and therefore rightly behaving as one of his citizens and one of his children. But we do have to pursue this. It doesn't just happen without some cooperation on our part. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. And Matthew 6 says, all that unbelieving people worry about and seek after will be added to us. The necessities of life, the the things we need, food, what should we eat, what should we drink, what should we wear. God is not confined within your world. You know, a lot of us have a very small world. You know, it's like people who just came off the ark. There's me, there's my wife, and my three kids and their wives. Right. You know, God bless us three, or maybe more, four. <laughs> we, we have a small world. God is not confined to your world, your realm. God rules over all. But you live in his world. And in his kingdom. Let me put it like this then. When you take care to seek his kingdom, he takes care of your kingdom. Your realm. The thing that is close to you. He'll take care of what is close to you. When you, your attention is on his greater kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. You know I like this keep calm thing. 
To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness means making it top priority. Top priority. Everything else comes after that. That's why I talk about giving and finance. That's the way it is for me. Giving to God is first priority. Everything else comes after that. It's the first thing. Top slice, first fruits. Seek first his kingdom. Above everything else. Seek first his kingdom by investing time in prayer. Seek first his kingdom by investing time in reading and studying the scriptures. Above all other things. Why? Because his promise is when you give attention, when you seek first my kingdom, I will take care of your little bit of life. The events of the past days or week should be reminding of this, us of this. We are receiving. I'd love to come back to that, but there isn't time. Jesus has received a kingdom and eventually he's going to share it with us. We are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Therefore, let us pursue. Let us be diligent. Let us recognize that there is effort to be put in to seeking the kingdom of God and seeking his righteousness because nothing matters more. I like the song, Israel's song, Nothing Else Matters. Nothing else matters. Only Jesus. But knowing Jesus isn't about retreating to a little corner and having a blessed time. We do that so we're charged to go back into the world of salt and light and make a difference because God's kingdom needs to hit reality. It needs to hit need. It needs to hit hurt. And God comes with all that he is, wisdom, love and power, faithfulness, gentleness, and changes it. Father, we want to submit our hearts right now to you. For myself, Lord, I say I want to set apart in my heart Christ Jesus as King, as Lord. I don't want you, Lord Jesus, being Lord of Lords and King of Kings to be something I just sing and it's somehow somewhere else and some other time. I want that to be the reality I live in right now. That I behave myself as someone who's going to receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. It's your kingdom, Jesus. And even now you're extending it, despite the opposition in many parts of the world, fierce opposition in some nations, your kingdom even today is extending and advancing. And people are being converted to faith in Jesus and broken bodies are being healed and broken lives are being mended. Your kingdom is coming. It is advancing. You will have your kingdom extended through every people group on this planet before you come. Your gospel will reach the very end, uttermost ends of the earth. We believe it, Lord, and pray for it. Some of us are eager to see you. We're eager for that last day. So we invest in prayer that you will reach, Lord, but through your people, through the gospel, every last people group, every last language group with the gospel, and have your harvest. Lord, at a personal level, in our hearts, in our homes, in our families, we pray today, Father, let your name be honoured. Let your kingdom come. 
let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, as I've been reading through Isaiah this past week, I've come across so many precious promises to us about our children, our offspring. You have, a, you have promises for us about them. We pray today, Lord, save our children, we pray. Let your word to us be true and faithful. That you'll produce in them what honours your name. That they will come into your kingdom. And your will will be done, not vaguely on earth, but in them, those offspring of ours, as it is in heaven. We call to you for it, Lord. We don't flip the Bible, should say, great idea. We invest in prayer and say, Lord, let it be according to your word. And we pray for our nation. At this time, we pray for some people of stature to give leadership to our nation. People of integrity to be brought forward and to change the atmosphere of the politics of this nation, Lord. Because we do not want more of the same. People have voted against that. We want a new day and a new atmosphere. And we pray the gospel may be declared more boldly and the glory of God may shine more brightly and your church will be far more fruitful and far more effective than it's been for many centuries even in this nation. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Teach us to keep praying this prayer and applying it at every level of our lives. We're looking for you to come with your power, with your wisdom, and to make something change. For the honour of Jesus, our King, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.